you're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma, and joining me to unpack your stock-related questions this evening are Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss and Nick Krell from FNB Wealth and Investments. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. Quite an interesting turnaround that we have seen in the market, and particularly our local market today in to the green. Uh, starting with you, Gary, what have you made of the kind of risk on sentiment that has come back and what is driving it? It's kind of difficult to see where, what the catalyst is. So we had a very weird day on the market yesterday because we had uh, obviously those Chinese inflation numbers coming in at zero percent should have been equity market positive. We had non-farm payroll numbers, uh, I suppose, missing, but uh, that's what we all want to see because that's uh, you know guides to to loosen monetary policy from the Fed and maybe we don't see as many rate hikes. So that should also have been equity market positive. And we had Europe positive, but the JSE decided to fall. So it wasn't very low volumes. We, we're seeing you know almost a, an incredibly low turnover of, of JSE stock. So maybe we're not getting proper price discovery. But uh, yeah, we, we then had obviously the, the US market off a little bit. But now US markets recovering, um, you know, an extension of the, the, the positive trade in Europe. And finally, the JSE has woken up. And uh, I think maybe yesterday, all the traders were outside looking at the snow. That's the only oh, thing yeah. they come up with. <laughs> that, 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 that or um, they're looking, all, all, everyone is waiting for the CPI number from the USR tomorrow, which I think is going to be key. Yeah, all right. Well, I, I mean, there also seems to be this... Um a kind of expectation for the Fed now to uh, be almost done with its hiking cycle. Uh, quite interesting, uh, you know, Gary's talking about the weirdness in the markets, and it's quite weird because last week, Nick, we did have markets when the uh, Fed confirmed in its minutes that it will continue hiking. There was this kind of, uh, um, you know, um, pessimism that the Fed is still going to tighten monetary policy. But now today, you have markets kind of optimistic about the fact that we might be near the end, but are markets also forgetting that even if the Fed, uh, you know, ends off with these two interest rate hikes that might be coming, that we're still going to be at a point where we're higher for longer? Yeah, so I don't necessarily think higher for longer is a bad thing, right? So while interest rates going to be cut aggressively, only because actually the economy can't face it and it falls over. Right. What we are seeing at the moment is much more of a sort of a positive sentiment in markets where people are starting to think that perhaps a soft landing is almost a guarantee and ultimately that the markets can sustain it. And that ultimately is good news. Um, you know, so interest rates being higher for longer is not necessarily a bad outcome. Um, you know, what we've been really worried about for the last 12 months is whether inflation comes under control and certainly looks like that's what's happening. Um, then it's whether or not the economy can sustain these higher interest rates. It's been a very aggressive rate hiking cycle. Yes, off a sort of zero cap base, um, but it's been very aggressive. And ultimately, either way, it looks like we're at or if not at, very close to the top of the rate hiking cycle. And it looks like the economy has actually been able to sustain the pace of these hike increases. So net-net, actually pretty positive, I think, on the, the medium term for equity markets. Yeah, all right. Well, let's get into the questions that we have uh, had uh, coming from our viewers today. Uh, African Rainbow Minerals has a PE of three. Their balance sheet is very good. Is this a no-brainer for a buy? Um, yeah, Gary, is a no a no brainer, or, or would you be uh, apply, applying some caution there on African Rainbow Minerals? 
Well, I don't know if a commodity play is ever a no-brainer, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they bring a lot of volatility to portfolios. And, you know, if you look at the volatility in the stock of ARI, and I remember trading when I was a young trader on the desk, uh, lots of ARIs. And, and it, it, again, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a fairly thin counter to trade if, you, if you're trading big volumes. So that, that kind of exacerbates the, the price volatility as well because, you know, relatively small orders can actually push push the stock around a little bit um you look at you look at the price chart i mean i can see exactly what they're looking at this there's kind of this big wide sideways channel between uh you know that you can trade you know just just under so call it like 190 up to about 320 so we're right at the bottom of that channel so it does look attractive just from a technical point of view but you know you're taking you're taking on that commodity price exposure as well and uh you know i don't think you know i, I i'm fairly constructive on, on commodity prices. I think, uh, you know, the, the zero COVID policy that we've seen in China, you know, will work its way through. I think China's maybe, you know, opening up a little bit more slowly than, than the rest of the world. It's a very different type of economy. I was, I was reading Rio Tinto's um, uh, comments around the Chinese economy longer term, just pointing to the housing market and the lack of construction. I mean, they're mainly iron ore, which is, is you know, there's components of that in African rainbow minerals. But they're saying, you know, difficult for China from a commodity point of view in the short term, but medium to long term, still very, very optimistic. Mm. Um, and I think I think we are going to see a little bit of a boost in commodities, but it's, you know, it it adds a lot of portfolio risk as well. So is it a no-brainer to buy? Probably not a no-brainer. I, th I think understand what you're buying into. It's going to be volatile. Uh, it's obviously a lot cheaper than it was a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. So it does look like a nice entry point for the short term, but. Yeah, be be careful. It's uh, it's not uh, a no-brainer stock, if you want to put it hmm. that way. Yeah. And I mean, we actually get a lot of questions on uh, the PGM counters. Uh, but, um, you know, when you ask the analysts, uh, African Rainbow Minerals is not one that really uh, is a top of mind, it seems. Uh, Nick, do you think that the stock may be unfairly overlooked? Well, I think it's been overlooked for some time. Um, a lot of question marks around capital allocation over a period of time and then control of the assets that they, they own, along with, uh, and I suppose combined with the quality of said assets. Uh, net net, it's traded on a sort of a 4P multiple that makes it look screamingly cheap for sustained periods of time. Uh, that by itself is not necessarily enough of a reason to, to, to jump in. One does need to look under the hood. Um, I am pretty much i suppose in the camp of gary here talking around uh, at the at the moment relative to commodity prices i feel like i'm, I'm pretty much more constructive on them going forward i think okay. there's been significant pain in the pgm sort of side and i think probably unfairly so um rhodium price is really falling off a cliff um so question marks there but certainly it does start to look attractive then the question you would ask yourself is whether you know, African Rainbow Minerals is the, the counter that you want to play that, or do you want to play it in a more pure sort of PGM kind of play, uh, possibly better quality assets, growing production profiles, so on and so forth? Yeah, well, uh, this next viewer has actually played the PGM space uh, using other counters. So uh, saying PGM shares were hammered recently, but as per your analyst suggestions, I bought the dips, so that's Amplats, Implats, Northern, Sibanya, and uh, RBM. Regardless of the prices still being subdued, I'm happy and in no rush to sell. These are long-term holds. So, Gary, uh, you're agreeing that it's a long-term hold. If you are in it, do you hold? And if you are not in it, uh, is this a good entry point? Into just the PGM sector in PGMs, in yeah, in general, yeah. Well, I, PGM is also kind of a, a strange space at the moment because, you know, structurally half of, uh, you know, 
half of, uh, let's say, say platinum, for example, more or less. I mean, it's less than that, but it's, as you can say, kind of rule of thumb half is using the autocatalytic converters. Now, you've got uh, you know, a, a structural shift happening in, in the autos market uh, globally. You know, we've got uh, a move to electric vehicles, which are going to change the, the composition, and, and that demand is going to have to be taken up. There's, there's big buying, you know, specifically out of Japan around PG, PGM metals as uh, essentially a store of value. They, they buy it almost, you know, equivalent to how we buy, you know, like a GLD ETF and, and there's often demand coming there, but it's nowhere near enough to, to stop up all the all the, the metal demand from from a an auto sector that changes over let's say the, the next five to ten years. So I don't know longer term, you, you know where where's the, the demand going to come from? I mean, you know, you, you can I don't know where the demand is going to come from. Supply can be cut, of course, but that's not going to be good for your companies. Um, and that could boost prices of the metal. But, uh, you know, it has to be a decision by the, the, the big platinum miners, which you know, largely do sit in South Africa, um, to, to constrain supply and, and, and boost prices. And there's no reason that that couldn't happen. Uh, you know, there's been all sorts of speculation that given the Ukraine-Russian uh, conflict at the moment, Russia might be dumping, uh, you know, metals on, onto the market, you know, through channels that we're not aware of, which is suppressing platinum prices. Um, because between us and Russia, we, we are pretty much the, the world's PGM supplies. So mm. uh, I think it, it really depends on what happens in the market. It's, 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 a, it's a very difficult thing to say, oh, let's, let's take it as a long-term buy because I think a lot of demand is going to come out of the market for PGM metals. I, and, and if I had to pick a counter, I would prefer something like Sabania, which is making the decision to move into you know, different uh, your battery-based metals, which I think are, are maybe going to find wider appeal uh, going forward. Yeah. Um, Nick, what would be your preferred buy there in that uh, PGM space if, if you are going to go in it? Well, I think there are two counters that I'd look at. So Northern on the one side, and that's a growing production profile, decent quality assets, uh, I think a, a solid management team. Um, but certainly that's more of the growth, right? So there you're going to be playing more of a, wow, I think PGMs, the production needs to actually continue coming into the market. There's going to be an increasing demand. That's the, the counter to play for. On the other side, I think um, Amplats is without a doubt a highest quality type of bass. It's probably not going to be looking at growing production anytime soon. Going to be paying out that dividend, I think, to shareholders. Um, and and that's much more sort of conservative type of approach between those two. I think uh, I think that those would be my preferred picks in the space. All right. Uh, well, quite an interesting one here as well. Uh, Alphaman shares. I don't know if Alphaman is one that you guys look at or look at closely. Um, Alphaman shares surged uh, 11% today, climbing to uh, 16 rand 10 cents. But when I wanted to sell, it repeatedly said the market was closed. Yet the JSE remained open. Can your panel please explain uh, to this novice shareholder what's going on here? Um, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like a, uh, not a lot of people actually look at Alphaman, even though, like, um, I think for the past year or past year and a half, it's had quite strong movements on the share price on, on either side. Uh, Gary? Uh, it's just not one I look at. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to comment on that. I, I honestly haven't looked at Altman's yeah. listing <laughs> in, in years. So, so definitely not one that I'm tracking. It's not on my watch list for the day. So I, I can see. <laughs> see, I, I really wouldn't be able to comment. Yeah. Uh, on your side, uh, Nick, uh, the tin manufacturer, Altman. <laughs> Nope, nothing, nothing really to no. add here either. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, let's get into uh, more questions. Uh, there's a question here on ETFs. Um, what is the panel's view on uh, Satrix India ETF for the next five years? Uh, quite, uh, India has been uh, uh, quite a market that uh, a lot of investors have been interested in, uh, companies as well, including uh, um, Apple. So uh, sticking with you, Nick, um, 
Yeah, what's your view on uh, the Satrix India ETF or just investing in India in general? Well, I think the, the macros in India continue to look excellent, right? So solid growth, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, ultimately, I think a lot of that is already reflected in the share price. It's been a market that is in demand uh, from a sort of global investor perspective. And so, you know, then looking at valuation, things start to look a little bit stretched. You're certainly paying up to, to get that sort of opportunity for growth. Um, and, you know, in terms of the ETF itself, um, you know, I, I definitely prefer stock picking opposed to uh, the, the ETF kind of version. I think from an easy macro type of idea, you get a lot of exposure. But um, I always feel that you can do better if you do a bit more research into the underlying companies themselves and, you know, bet on a couple of horses that way. Gary, on your, I mean, we, we, we know that you are, you are a stock picker, but uh, would you be going for the Satrix uh, India ETF for the next five years, or would you also just stock pick? Well, it's difficult to get exposure into India. So, you know, if you're looking at a broad theme, you know, an ETF like uh, like the Satrix India is probably not a bad bet. Now, it's it's, it's kind of a, a feeder ETF into the iShares MSCI India ETF. So you've just got to look at what, I mean, you're kind of going through two two levels. So you want to kind of just understand the TR very well uh, in, inside the product. Uh, generally, when you look at these, like I haven't looked at the, this specific one uh, in detail, so I don't want to kind of talk around the fees. But uh, when you go into Latin America, when you go into India, when you go into the more difficult to trade listed environments um, that require more, ab how can I put it, abstract uh, broking relationships, generally the fees on the underlying ETF go up quite a bit. So the, the idea that you buy an ETF, which is a passive strategy, um, one of the big selling points of them are they're a lot cheaper than, than active management. Uh, but when you start going into the more obscure territories, your, your fees actually start to creep up. You get up to you know, 65, 70, 80 basis points where you could actually follow an active strategy in that market. And uh, and, and do quite well. So I think just check check the EAC very carefully. Um, but yeah, under, underlying you know uh, Indian economy, I, I think also very interesting. Um, you know, it has the the risks of an emerging market, but it, I think they have better demographic trends than somewhere like China. Um, but it's a, a difficult market to invest in, and it's obviously a, a very highly regulated market as well, which which adds uh, you know, how can I say it? it adds challenges to to equity market investment. It's it's one of the, the things that we've seen why Chinese stocks, for example, trade at such a big discount to somewhere like the US and really is the regulatory framework and, and India doesn't escape that. So I don't think you can just look at the demographics and, and look at the, the population and look at the, how exciting, how excited you are about, uh, you know, capturing this, this enormous uh, population spending habits and, 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 and benefit from that. You've got, you've got to look at the regulation around it as well. So um, those are my concerns, but, but overall to, to express a view in, in, a, in an emerging economy that you don't have exposure to, yeah, I, I think uh, a, nice, a nice seamless way of entering without having to use offshore allowances and that kind of thing to get into the market. So, yeah, I like, I like, the, I like the, the idea. Mm, all right. Well, uh, second part of the viewers' questions, uh, question is, which two euro stocks shares do you recommend for at least five years? Nick? You're talking about the, the underlying uh, shares? Any shares within yes. euro? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think, I mean, Europe as an investment destination has really struggled uh, recently. Um, I think you can look at uh, their sort of economic performance, the geopolitical risks that sort of take place. Uh, and ultimately, they trade at this, you know, significant discount uh, generally to their U.S. counterparts. Uh, the reality is, I think over time, that has got to unwind. Um, but how long is a piece of string? When will that sort of discount unwind? So from a valuation perspective, they look um, pretty attractive. 
Um, I think um, if I were sort of picking places to go into, it would be a little bit more on the defensive side. I think there are a couple of good pharma companies one can have a look at. Uh, companies like Novartis or Roche, um, I think, look attractive uh, uh, currently and are good, strong, solid sort of companies. On top of that, I think you can start looking a little bit more um, into, I suppose, a little bit more of the sort of innovator technical, uh, you know, space. Um, and there, I mean, there's a, a great industrial that's trading at ridiculously low multiples at the moment um, because there are some underlying challenges and accusations thrown at this company. But it's a, it's a company uh, called Teleperformance, which uh, I'm, I'm quite a big long term fan on in terms of uh, where the company can go. Ah, all right. Uh, Eurozone stocks uh, on your end, uh, Gary? Uh, yeah, so I think if you if you want to kind of try and capture a lot of what that index movement is going to look like, uh, you can pick the two biggest ones. I think they're both they're both uh, excellent companies. Um, so you can look at uh, something like ASML Holdings, uh, obviously the chip fabricator. Um, you know, we've seen what's happened in the semiconductor market so far, and it's uh, yeah, it is it is fairly exciting. <laughs> you, mm. If you look at the you know, ASML or at least uh, ASML's compound annual revenue growth over the last five years, you're talking about 36 percent. It's uh, you know, very, very, very solid. Um, you know, it's, a, it's something that you don't get a lot of in Europe, which is which is quite exciting. And, and the other one would probably be LVMH, uh, which is almost the European version of, of Richmond to, to an extent. You know, big exposure to luxury goods. Um, you know, very defensive sector. Also, you look at their five-year compound annual growth rate. Um, you know, revenue growth rate at least. I mean, 22 percent. So you know, nice, nice growing companies, which is uh, oh, actually sorry, revenue growth of 13 uh, percent, earnings growth of 22 percent. But uh, yeah, also very solid company. Um, and between the two of them, they make up about 15% of the Eurostock. So uh, they're the two juggernauts uh, in, in the Eurostox index. Ah, all right. Uh, well, uh, just a quick compliment uh, to you guys and I guess all our analysts. I'm learning a lot from you guys concerning how to save and invest. And I would like to say thank you. Um, and leading to that, there's a viewer that says um, they're age 20 and they're currently in Zimbabwe and they want to get started in stock investing. Uh, and they have a, a, a few questions for you. Uh, so what are best stocks to invest in when you are a beginner? Um, I'm not sure how broad this question is, but um, yeah, just a quick advice for anyone who is a beginner, a beginner and who's stuck at where to start, Nick. Yeah, so from my side, I think there's probably three fundamentals to have a look at. Um, the first is... Uh, the level of information that is publicly disclosed. So generally speaking, you'd want to go with your larger companies to start out with. They've got the longer track record. They're significant in their markets. And there's a lot of information that one can kind of get on them and their products so on and so forth. So I would stick with very liquid large counters. Second to that, I'd have a look at companies that um, are strong and stable. And what I mean by that is generally strong, strong balance sheets not companies that have significant debt loads or are changing their business strategy left, right and center. Just really strong and stable is, is the way to have a look at it. And then lastly, I mean, always invest in what you know uh, and ultimately make a decision on where you think the economy and the world and the globe is going to go, what sort of products have demand um, over the next sort of five or 10 years, what areas of the market have that, and ultimately using that balance sheet and sort of um, strength of, of the size of the business start picking companies in those sort of areas, areas that you feel passionately can grow over a period of time. Yeah. Um, quite interesting, Nick, that you also talk about uh, invest in uh, companies whose products you know. Um, one thing that comes to mind is the chicken business. 
And I'm just like, well, I eat chicken every day, but am I necessarily going to go invest <coughs> in a chicken producer? Um, so it's, I mean, it's good also that you mentioned that you also need to look at the information, but also just the, the balance sheet, uh, how much money they bring in a house table, that balance sheet is. Um, there's another question here, uh, Gary, um, for you. Uh, how do you know when there's about to be a bull or bear market? <laughs> I wish we did know when there was going to be a bull or a bear market. So, uh, generally, uh, yeah, we were joking off air. You know, you know there's going to be a bull market when everyone tells you there's going to be a bear market. So it's, um, it's, it's obviously very difficult because I think the most important thing to, to try and remember as a beginner when, when you're looking at stock markets is, is stock markets take into account all future information. Um, you know, to look at an economy and say, oh, the economy is going to go into recession, it's, it's, a, it's a mistake a lot of uh, novice investors or novice stock market investors make. They look at the market and then they look at the economy and they look at the economy and they extrapolate what, what is going to happen in the market where it's actually the other way around. The, 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 the stock market is one of the best leading indicators of what's going to happen in the economy. So generally what will happen is if you see stock prices rise, it actually means the economy is going to get better, not not the other way around. So I think that's that's important. Um, but the fact is that you know these big broad macro moves, everyone has a view, but uh, yeah. it's very difficult to tell. So yeah, I think I think uh, Nick's made some excellent points. Try and look at the companies that that you're investing in. Um, you know, there's two ways of thinking about it. You've got your top down analysis and your bottom up analysis, and nothing really beats solid bottom up analysis. If you can find a great investment in any market. Uh, it's generally worth buying. Ah, all right. An interesting one here. How do I tell when I need to exit a market or stock? Um, yeah, I feel like if you could really, really tell in absolute terms, you wouldn't be having a show like this. Nick, <laughs> your take? <laughs> no, so theoretically, it's very easy, right? It's all about valuation. Yeah. You've got to come up with a valuation on a company. You sort of input what you think the growth is going to be, how, you know, what the balance sheet's like, how quality or orientated the business, the structure of the business actually is, and then you assign what you think is a valuation that is fair. Um, when it breaches that valuation, irrespective of the news and the hype in the market, you relinquish your position. Mm. Um, unfortunately, to do that, you've got to be able to do enough of the work or get enough of the work to come up with a valuation to start up. Um, and then you build on that sort of framework over a period of time. Uh, I think a lot of investors, unfortunately, um, are more momentum orientated, discount the valuation uh, sort of side of things. And when the, the news sounds good, you enter as enter into something. And often, uh, as Gary has alluded to, before you, you know, by the time you've heard that the information is good, it's already discounted into that share price. So the news has got to be better than what you hear out in this sort of public domain. And likewise, on the way down, if you hear bad news, um, often already discounted into the share price. So mm. it's all around that sort of valuation. Uh, all right. Well, uh, there are actually quite a lot more questions that the viewer has asked, but I will carry on with those on Thursday. Uh, gentlemen, let's get to your stock picks for today. Gary, what will it be? Yeah, I'm going to look at uh, Home Depot. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's about 25% off its high. You can think of it, it's almost uh, the builder's warehouse of America for, for South African viewers. Um, it's, it's going through a bit of a tough time at the moment. Uh, you know, obviously, like in, in, in the world after COVID, everyone's done their home renovations. So we're expecting kind of flatter sales, uh, you know, or less, less aggressively growing sales, if you want to put it that way. Um, but it's still, it's still an absolutely solid business. Uh, if you look at the valuation, we were talking about valuations earlier. It's trading, it used to trade on about three times sales. 
sales. Uh, it's now trading on two times sales, which is a significant discount from where it is. And if you compare that to some of the, the really hypey story stocks, um, which I'm not going to say that I don't own because about 5% of our global equity portfolio is in NVIDIA, or at least 8% of our global equity portfolio is in NVIDIA, mm. which is trading on 40 times sales. But uh, looking around, you know, 40 times sales compared to two, two times sales, um, it, I think it's got a much higher margin of safety around it. And uh, you know, if, if we do go through a period, the next, say, three to five years, uh, interest rates start to moderate. Suddenly, I think you can see a company like that really leading its way out of uh, out of the interest rate cycle as as people start spending this kind of retailer. And also, just to give you a little bit of stock history on it, um, it has outperformed the S&P 500 over the last five years in spite of the pullback that we've had recently. It's done about 70, uh, 78, 79% uh, if you look at total return uh, versus the S&P 500 up, up around 60. So a very, very well-run company, um, you know, currently in a bit of a dip and uh, and not because its earnings or its revenue are falling, uh, just because uh, investors are not prepared to pay up for it in the current environment. So for me, that's definitely a time you should be buying a stock. Uh, all right. And on your side, Nick, what will it be? I'm also going offshore. I'm going to uh, my stock pick this evening is Visa, um, a perennial sort of favorite, um, I think. Uh, it is a, a company that's kind of everywhere, obviously, in the payment sort of side. Um, and ultimately, I think, has derated significantly over the last sort of three or four years uh, and really not on the back of anything other than perhaps some concerns around a COVID and COVID recovery. Now, we're seeing a lot of that travel and cross-border sort of travel coming back. So so, so that's all happening. Um, you're expecting, you know, 15% KBAR growth over the next three years. So it's pretty strong top line and bottom line kind of growth in the next couple of years. And yet it hasn't re-rated yet back to anywhere close to its former sort of levels. So it is a very top quality type of company, balance sheet that is uh, that is excellent, pretty good, strong cash generation as well. So I would say it's a... It's a bit of a fort, as it were, and yet it's undervalued. Yeah. Uh, and in this current market where we've seen a lot of volatility in sort of high beta stocks or stocks that are suddenly were undervalued massively and then are massively overvalued, uh, this is a stock that hasn't caught on anyone's radar yet, uh, and I think it will re-rate re in time. Ah, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your insights today, gentlemen. Appreciate it. That's all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Gary Boyson from Rancis and Nick Crail from FNB Wealth and Investments. That's where I leave things with you tonight, but stay tuned for lots more right here on Business Day TV. <laughs>